Hello, this is Yara Stark and welcome to another interview with an entrepreneur and today I have Chris Gillaboo on the line with me and we're going to talk about a whole range of things. Uh, Chris has uh, come on to my show to talk about, I guess, his story, of course. He's also got a, a book out there and he's uh, basically, I, I did some research on this guy before I, I jumped on this call and, and he sounds like a traveling nomad who has internet businesses, but um, hopefully we can break that down to something a bit more specific. So, Chris, welcome to the call. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Now, I'd like to go back to your beginnings a little bit, but I have to ask, given you, you travel to 25 different cities a year, that's the sort of catchphrase I got yeah. from your websites. Uh, is this something like when you were an eight-year-old sitting at home, did you always say, I just want to get out of my house and go see the world, or were your parents already taking you around the world? You know, Where's this passion come from? Yeah, it, it kind of developed a bit along the way. It wasn't like uh, I didn't have the vision when I was eight. Um, but when I was six, I believe, uh, my parents were split up and living in different places. And my mom remarried this guy who was in the U.S. Air Force. And so we moved around a lot because of that situation. And we actually lived in Asia and the Pacific for a couple of years. So I had kind of an early childhood of living in the Philippines and then living lots of different places in North America. So that did help a little bit. Um, but then it probably wasn't until I was 22 or so. Uh, I went overseas to West Africa, and I lived uh, in the region there for about four years uh, volunteering for a charity. And that was just a great experience that kind of you know affected my worldview in a lot of different ways. But one of those ways was travel and that I went to a lot of different places and also lived and worked in South Africa for a while and lived and worked in Europe. And so it's kind of a cumulative effect where after I'd been a number of places, I started getting more curious about the rest of the world and wondering what it was like, you know, elsewhere and what, what was the same and what was different. And, and so I just kind of wanted to find a way to make travel more a part of, you know, everything that I was doing. And that's how the whole like visit every country in the world quest came about. You said you were 18, was it, when you went to West Africa? Uh, I think I was about 22. 22, okay. So you had a life prior to that. Did you, <laughs> you went to I did a school? bit. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I was a high school dropout, actually. And uh, I don't know how the system works in Australia, but, you know, in the U.S., you're supposed to go to high school, you know, through age 18 or so. And uh, I, I went for one year and then dropped out. I just didn't do very well in the traditional, you know, education system. Um, but I, I was able to go on to college and university, uh, kind of snuck into that. Um, so I had never had a high school degree, but then I did have a college degree. Um, I was also a musician. I was playing jazz music at night. Uh, I wasn't the best employee. You probably won't be surprised to hear. Um, so I had to find a way to support myself. And that's how I started with entrepreneurship many years ago, more than 10 years ago now, um, just out of a motivation to like pay the bills, you know, wasn't trying to build anything necessarily, not building a brand or, you know, a, biz a real business or anything, but just trying to hustle and do whatever I could. So in those early days, it was a lot of stuff with eBay uh, when that was a brand new website. Uh, and then later on, I learned about affiliate marketing and building a list and, you know, Google AdWords and AdSense and a lot of the things that, you know, you've been talking about for a long time. I just kind of learned along the way. And so that's that's kind of how that came about. Okay. Before we look at all these different business projects, I'm curious, how does one get into university without getting a high school graduation? Uh, yeah, great question. So, um, again, the system may be different in different parts of the world, but um, in the United States, uh, we have what we call community college or junior college. 
And it's usually like a two-year institution in which uh, you know most students will then transfer to a, a real university. Now, of course, you're supposed to have a high school diploma to get into one of those. But I just managed to register. Uh, you know, I kind of snuck in, and then after the first semester, the first term, uh, someone realized. Uh, one of the administrators realized I didn't have the high school degree, but I had I had done pretty well. You know, in that first term, and so they thought, well, we can't kick him out now. So I kept going, you know, and did, I did pretty well, again, because I'm studying things I'm interested in. And then I was able to transfer from the two-year institution to the four-year university. And again, you're supposed to have the high school diploma. But because I was transferring, um, they only looked at the previous you know, institution as opposed to going way back to the high school. So that's, that's kind of how it worked out. Sounds like you got lucky in a couple of places. <laughs> I did get lucky, of course. And I think all of us do, right? Like all of us, you know, we get fortunate in a number of ways. And then we're able to, sometimes we look back and we're like, yeah, I was so smart. But not really, you know, like maybe there's some intelligence, but then there's also, you know, good fortune. Uh, just to clarify, if you were to drop out in high school here after only one year, you'd be like 13 years old. No, oh, I, <laughs> I think you were. Yeah, uh, it was, I was age 15 in the U.S. when that happened. So after junior high, right? Is that? Yeah, correct. Okay. So you're 15 and right. are you living with your mom or? Uh, yeah, and they weren't so happy no. about you know, the whole dropout situation. But at the same time, like, you know, we don't have to go into the whole thing. But I also had a difficult childhood, and I was kind of in trouble with the law and things. And so, you know, I, I, my behavior at that point was actually pretty good. So they were like, well, it's not good that Chris isn't going to school, but, you know, at least he's not stealing cars or breaking into other people's houses. Right. And, and, and I, the thing is, I was actually motivated to learn. I just didn't like, you know, the high school structure, at least, you know, where I went. And, um, and then I actually started, the, started college um, or university pretty soon. So I started when I was 16, actually ended up graduating uh, when I was 19, which in the U.S. most people don't graduate until they're 22 or 23. So it's kind of funny that I skipped, you know, you know the whole, like, formal education thing, but I actually managed to finish a couple of years, you know, ahead of uh, many of my peers. So it worked out well in the end. Mm. I'm not sure I necessarily recommend it, you know, well, but it worked out. <laughs> it, it does demonstrate that there's a need for an alternative path, I think, for people that just don't want to go through the, uh, the schooling system, but that's a different discussion altogether. Um, exactly. I, I do like the fact that you, you, you lowered the bar so far that your parents were happy you dropped out of school just that you weren't stealing cars. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. Again, it wasn't a big strategy. Like, it wasn't like I intended to do it that way. But, you know, that's how it turned out. Okay. So um, you go to community college, you get into university, and you did uh, what, what degree? A uh, degree in sociology. Okay. And any reason why? Were you just what you're interested in? or? I uh, just kind of wandered into a sociology course and, uh, and really liked it. It was the study of people in groups and the study of uh, different, you know, human behavior and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I also did a degree in psychology as well, um, but I kind of liked the sociological aspect more of understanding like interaction and, and uh, you know different issues of, of poverty and families and race and ethnicity and it just I, I kind of like stuff like that. And it's funny because it doesn't necessarily train you for a specific job or career, but you know looking back a decade now, I can see that a lot of what I do in my my work and my writing, like I I think I actually you know did learn a fair amount at that time that I I apply now in different ways. Okay, so throughout your university days, were you doing any jobs or running any kind of business? Yeah, I started the business uh, during probably the last year of university, in which I only had you know two and a half years of university because I kind of compressed it. So uh, I did. So you went from high school dropout to express learner at university. Uh, more or less, I, that was another story, uh, which I don't know if we have time to get into. But I, 
I, yeah, I registered for as many courses as I could. And then there was a maximum course load where you couldn't register for any more. So then I just went to another institution and, and registered at the same time, you know, for the maximum number of courses that I could then uh, there at that place. And then I did that for several quarters or semesters. And then finally I transferred all the credits, you know, to one institution to graduate. Um, so your, that, your, that's how your parents must have been like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. I know, and actually, I did have some jobs. I had like a pizza job and I had like uh, delivering flowers, you know, on Valentine's Day and just a bunch of random stuff. I mean, I'm just doing all these different things. And so the schedule was really you know, like the schedule was really crowded. And sometimes I would go to the wrong course. Or I'd go to the wrong job, like wearing the wrong uniform, you know, because that was the Tuesday job and not the Wednesday one or so, you know. So it was a little bit a little bit random for a while. You obviously needed to keep busy. That was important to you, I'm guessing. Yeah, keeping busy and also, I would say, doing more than one thing. Because, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're working on this startup, and I, I really respect that. I respect people have the focus to kind of, you know, say no to a lot of projects, you know, focus on one big thing. Like, I respect that. For me, I don't really have that ability. Uh, I'm, I'm much better, at least I feel like I'm more energized and more motiva- motivated to do a lot of different things at once. Um, you know, fortunately, I've, I've matured from, you know, working at a pizza job and, and going to community college, you know, to doing some, you know, to building things that are bigger and more significant. But I still don't have that same kind of focus that I think you have. Well, take us through then how, how you did start your first, I guess, project that wasn't a job. You Were you at university for that or was that after graduation? Um, that was at university and I was working the last job I ever did, which was for, for FedEx. Uh, or a version of Federal Express, and um, I was working in the middle of the night. And I was getting paid, I guess, about eight dollars an hour, or so you know, so so not a lot of money. And, and working in the middle of the night carrying boxes, it was difficult work. And, and then in the morning, I'm supposed to be fresh and go to go to class. And so it was, it was tough. And then there was a snowstorm where I was living at the time in Memphis, Tennessee. So one night, I went to get in my car and drive to work. And my car basically, like you know, it did, I didn't have an accident, but it kind of slid into a, a snowbank. And I thought, okay, there's no way I'm going to work, you know. And the problem with skipping that night was the next day I didn't want to go either. You know, like once I had broken that habit, it was like I don't want to you know, like I don't want to go back. You know, um, and so never returned. You know, to that job. They mailed me my you know remaining paycheck or whatever. And then I thought, okay, I need a way to um, you know obviously I need to pay the bills somehow. So there was this brand new website called eBay.com where I had I had seen I had never sold anything there, but I had you know seen it and maybe purchased some CDs or something. I don't know. Um, is and so the I late thought, nineties, Chris. Uh, it is indeed, exactly. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine, like right before two thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so I, I started with things around my house, like my little apartment, my student apartment. I had like you know old toys, old clothes, old books. You know, um, this is before digital cameras, or at least before I had a digital camera. So I would like actually like take pictures with a camp with a you know old school camera and get them get the film developed and then go to the university to use the only scanner that I had access to. I mean, it's very like old school, you know, um, but finally like made the, made the listings and long story short, I, I found that I could make $20 an hour, you know, or $25 an hour. And I was like, this is great. Like this is two to three times, you know, what I did before. Um, and the only problem was I started running out of things around my house to sell, you know, the house is getting kind of bare. Mm-hmm. So, um, then I just started like paying attention to other suppliers. I was like, who, who is doing this like as a living, and when, where do they get their inventory from? And so I would look and and see like, uh, okay, this person's selling a lot of you know a lot of these these kind of books or laptop cases or whatever it was, cigars, you know, Lego toys, video games, whatever. And then I would go and I would say Google, but this is you know 
I was using like other search engines at the time, AltaVista, Lycos, whatever, you know, like try to track down the source of that, of that uh, product. And then I would try to order 10 of them. Basically, I kind of learned as I went along. So I built this small little wholesaling business. Um, I sold coffee was one of the things that I did the most of. Um, you know, just over the course of six, six months, you know, I got to where I could support myself pretty well. And all of a sudden, you know, I was 22 years old and I was making not a ton of money, but I was making like $50,000 a year. And that's a lot of money when you've never, you know, made money at all before. So that's, that's how, that's how the evolution of the business went at that point. Right. So you you went out and bought yourself a new car, some bling, you know, all the things Uh, you always wanted, right? Like I didn't actually have much to spend the money on. I, I, I was just, uh, I was just happy that I could go and, and eat dinner, like at a you know a ten dollar place as opposed to a five dollar place. So, yeah, it was weird. Okay, so you're 22. Um, I'm assuming you're still in Memphis. Um, yeah, I think by that point I may have moved to Alabama, but I'm, I'm still in the United States, in the Southern United States. Yeah. Okay. And uh, eBay's going well. You, you don't have a job anymore, I'm assuming. Correct. Right? No and job. No. I'm working like two to three hours a day. You know, doing different, doing the eBay thing, learning how to build websites. I'm um, just trying to like explore the whole like internet marketing thing before it was called internet marketing, you know, um, just, just learning, you know, just learning stuff and doing small little projects and not really building anything significant. As I said, just like, how can I, you know, support myself? And so I'm doing that two to three hours a day. And the rest of the time I'm playing music, I'm going to the bookstore and reading, I'm, you know, just whatever, whatever I want to do. And that, that was fine for a while, but I think like pretty soon I realized like, okay, I need something like it's it's nice to have no responsibilities effectively, but um, you know I think I think all of us actually want to do something with our lives. We want to build something. You know, we want to actually contribute something meaningful. And so that's that to me was um, like after nine eleven that was a turning point for me and a lot of other people, of course. Um, but after nine eleven, I thought, okay, like is there some way I can contribute to the world? Like I'm very fortunate uh, that I've got this life that. You know, I, I can essentially work two to three hours a day and, and have everything that I need. Um, what, what can I really offer the world? So that's how the whole volunteer thing, you know, that's how I, I heard about this opportunity in West Africa. And I thought, OK, I need to need to find a way to respond to this. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about that. Did you continue to run the eBay business? I'm assuming it's an online business, so it's easy enough to travel with. Is that I, I did indeed. Um, and uh, you know, for four years while I was overseas, you know, um, by that point I was married. So Jolie, my wife was with me, with me as well. And, uh, I, you know, I used the business income to support us living in West Africa. And of course it didn't require, you know, a whole lot of money to do that. Um, but still it was, it was nice that I could, I felt like I was providing, you know, I felt like, you know, okay, I'm volunteering through the day, but then all I need is one or two hours a day. We had this really shaky internet connection via satellites. Um, but it worked, you know, and I could go online and, you know, I did a little bit of consulting. I built some websites, um, did the eBay thing a little bit. My brother was back in the States, so he helped with some of the shipping that we needed to do for the U.S. and Canada. Um, and it wasn't like a big focus during that time because the focus was on the volunteering, but it was still really good that, you know, that I had that source of, of income. So you went from stealing cars to volunteering in Africa. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, don't really, I don't really regret either one of them. I don't regret the car stealing. Uh, you know, I was 14, but... Um, but yes, I would say that both of them were like, you know, both of them made a big impact on my life. I've noticed a trend that a lot of successful people seem to have this sort of uh, topsy-turvy background. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. You need to go steal cars if you want to be a successful entrepreneur. It's, uh, <laughs> right. It's the takeaway from this interview. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you, you, you've, you've done the West Africa stint, which yeah. obviously would have been life-changing, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, just definitely. seeing the way people live there. 
Sure. Um, did you pretty much continue it as is while you were in Africa and then started changing when you got back to the States or, you know, take us. Yeah. Forward? Yeah. So we were there four years at the end of the four years, um, moved back to the States. This time we moved to Seattle. Um, we had always heard about like the Pacific Northwest area of the U S and wanted to live there. Um, I was also a little bit worried because of the whole education situation. Like I had, I was worried I hadn't really learned much because I skipped high school, no regrets there. But then I also kind of rushed through the whole like university experience. So uh, basically I wanted to go to grad school and I felt like that was the next step for me. Um, so I applied for and was accepted to a, a master's degree program at the University of Washington. So we moved to Seattle. I think that was uh, 2006. And while I was there, I was doing the program, which, which was fine. It wasn't amazing, but, it, you know, it was fine. And uh, while I was there, I was also thinking, okay, what's the next step? Like, what am I – because I still have the same feeling about, like, what am I building? Am I really contributing to something? I felt like that when I was in Africa, but now I'm back home, so what am I doing? And I wanted to be a writer, um, but I had no platform. Like, I wanted to write a book, but I thought, who's going to give me a book deal? Like, how does that work? And I have no platform. I felt like I've done all this stuff. I'd been to maybe 70 countries at that point. But, uh, you know, if you Google my name, there was like three results. Like, nobody knew who I was. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you guess, you've been to 70 countries already by that time? I think so, yeah. I was okay. 50 uh, when I... It was 50 or so at the midpoint of West Africa. Right. And then I... Yeah, added about 20 or so. Okay, so we've missed a few things in this four years Sorry. while you were Sorry. in Africa. <laughs> so you didn't stay in Africa the whole four years then? Uh, mostly. Well, we were living on a hospital ship. So the hospital ship, um, you know, naturally wasn't stationary. It would be stationary for about six months at a time. And that's when we would be doing the work. We would go to Liberia for six months. We would go to Sierra Leone for six months. But then, um, you know, we also did a bit of sailing. And every year the, the ship would go to Europe. We'd go on like a public relations tour. We'd also get all our, all our supplies. We would do a dry dock, all that kind of stuff. So every year I was also, we would have ports in Germany and Holland and Spain and the UK. You know, so from there I started traveling. I went to a number of Eastern European countries for the first time. I just, I had a love of travel. So after, after like I'd been to a few of these places, you know, in a group setting, I started kind of going off on my own. And, um, you know, towards the final two years of that commitment, uh, it was my job to represent the organization to the host governments we were working with. And so I did a lot of flying around. I would fly and meet the Minister of Health. Um, I got to meet a couple of presidents, which was amazing and great. And, you know, the whole time I'm 25 years old, it just feels like it's normal. Like this is like the, this is just my life or whatever, you know. Um, but travel was a big part of it. So, yeah, I got to about 50 countries there. And then once we started getting closer to moving back to the States, I traveled even more. Um, during the two years while I was going to grad school in Seattle, um, for every break, like every term break or during the summers or whatever, then I would take off on my own. I would go for maybe two weeks, you know, did Southeast Asia, did Latin America, you know, went to East Africa where I'd never been before, went to the Middle East for the first time. So around this time, it's like becoming an addiction and something that I'm really focusing on. Okay. So just for anyone who's interested in maybe doing volunteering of the same route you did, what's that organization that you joined? I worked with an organization called Mercy Ships. And it's a global organization. The headquarters is in North America, but they have offices, you know, all over the world. And I would also encourage people, if, you're, if you want to do something like that, but you're not sure what's best, um, reliefweb.org or reliefweb.int is a great website because they have lots of different organizations. You can read about um, different volunteer opportunities as well as you just kind of get a, more of an understanding about aid work in general. So you lived on a boat for a long time. That, that, that's, uh, yeah. that's different. Um, when did the wife fit into all of this? What, 
Yeah, actually, you know, she's, I was going to say she's my high school sweetheart, but since I didn't really go to high school, um, no, we've been together more or less since age 17, and she's a year older than me, so that's about 15 years now. Okay, and did she come with you on the boat? She did indeed, yes. Um, she, she was our ticket there because, uh, you know, you're supposed to be somewhat qualified to go and do these kind of positions, and I had no qualifications, essentially. Right. Whereas uh, she was a high school teacher and, you know, had a diploma and a certification and all of that. So they were at the, it just so happened at the time we applied, there was a shortage of teachers. And so um, they accepted her, and then they didn't know what to do with me, but I, I came with her. So that was my, that was my way in. Wow. You, you were baggage. <laughs> <laughs> essentially yes and then i spent the first year um in just doing menial labor essentially like i i would i was in charge of a warehouse and i'm like moving stuff around and i'm like loading thing cargo into my land rover and driving it you know up country to a village clinic and so in some ways it's very you know it's very menial but at the same time it's very rewarding because i'm actually like there on the front lines and like really delivering you know things that are helpful and meeting people and so it was a great experience um it's a great experience to do to have done that mm-hmm. i'm glad i didn't go into it like in a senior position it is kind of funny that you left the fedex job packing boxes <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. to there's some irony there <laughs> yeah to get yourself into africa where you're packing boxes again yeah and I, the thing is I, I was never actually very good at it i mean you would think it doesn't take much skill to pack boxes but it actually does like there's a whole like protocol to it and the way you're supposed to shrink wrap and how you stack the weight and all you know and i was i never got got good at it so fortunately i got moved out of that position after a while okay and it sounds like if you're meeting presidents you you know moved up the ranks pretty quickly to go from boxes to representing the organization like how did that yeah. happen i guess at some point someone saw something in me and someone saw some potential and and uh you know just said like we need this guy to do something else and so that's another one of those turning points that i'm always, that i'm very grateful for and maybe it had something to do with my motivation because i always wanted to, to help i always wanted to do stuff i would always volunteer for tasks um but i think it's also it's it, you know what you said at the very beginning of the interview there is a there's always a luck element to, to any part of our lives. And so um, whenever we get those opportunities, like the question is, then are we going to make the most of them? You know, And so when that opportunity came about, um, it was essentially life-changing to go from like carrying the boxes around to meeting the presidents. And so I tried to you know, make the most of it, and I tried to, to learn from it and to treat it with respect. It wasn't a jump of that magnitude, though. It wasn't like, well, you're doing a great job with those boxes. Now we want you to go get on a plane and... <laughs> And meet the president. Sure. It wasn't quite like that, but it was pretty quick. I mean, it was maybe, uh, you know, three to six months uh, transition. I did another job where I was responsible for some educational teams. Um, someone got sick and uh, like a mid-level manager got sick and he had to leave. And so I took his role. So I was kind of interim manager, you know, of a couple of smaller things for a while. And so I, I think that helped. Um, but it was fairly quick in the sense that, you know, I made a two-year commitment initially to go and carry boxes. And I was happy with that. But then, you know, within the first year, essentially, I went from carrying the boxes to meeting the presidents. Amazing. So <laughs> I'm assuming all this time eBay is still keeping the bank balance going upwards. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like making a huge amount of money, but, um, you know, I was making like twenty to $30,000 a year, maybe up to 40000 You know, again, not a great living, but I had very few expenses. And, uh, you know, most of the people that we were working with, like our other volunteers, they were really struggling and, you know, just trying to maintain like a base level of support. Um, and so in, in that regard, you know, we were, we were more fortunate because we had, you know, more than a lot of, a lot of those people did. Mm. Okay. So when it came to decide to, decide to leave that after four mm-hmm. years and go to Seattle, it was just time? You just knew? Or? 
Yeah, uh, that's a good way to put it. It was just time. Uh, I noticed like a, a commitment like that, you have to give it everything you have. And if you start, if you start giving it a little bit less than what you, than everything, it's not good, you know? And so I guess, um, maybe, th- maybe about three years in, I started just realizing I was a little bit tired and, uh, I wasn't as excited about everything that I was doing as I had been. And I, I kind of observed, you know, in that environment, I mean, we're working in like post-conflict settings and, uh, you know, it, it is a pretty challenging emotional situation. It's a great, rewarding, you know, thing to do, but it is it is challenging. And so I noticed that some people who had stayed a lot longer, there were some people who stayed for more than ten years, um, and among those people, there were a couple of exceptions. But I noticed that a lot of those people just kind of began to get bitter about the whole thing, about you know, bitter about aid work, or I don't know, just kind of cynical. And I, I was I was always an optimist. And I didn't want to lose that, and so I guess I felt like I was shifting focus, and I thought. You know, the best, like I felt like I had the best job in the world, but the best time to leave the best job in the world is right before you get tired of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and your wife, I'm assuming, is all, you know, part of all these decisions. And when of you, course. When you traveled to Eastern Europe and, and everywhere you went, was she going along too? Yeah, well, a good way to put it is she was a part of all those decisions. Uh, she's she's also been to maybe 50 countries or so of her own. Um, and so many of those countries, especially during that time, we were traveling together. But then that's also when I started started traveling independently the last year or two. Um, I did some of it for my work. And then also I, I just did it because I... You know, like I went on one small independent trip, and I was like, "Oh, I love this! I want to do this!" And uh, I just want to travel on my own. Uh, it's not that I don't want to be with anyone else. I just I kind of like, you know, traveling for seven to ten days, uh, you know, on my own. So, so with Jolie, it was kind of like an ongoing conversation about, um, you know, with me saying I would love to travel more by myself. Is that okay with you? And you know, what's what are you comfortable with? What am I comfortable with? That kind of conversation. So we we had that over the years, um, especially over the past five to seven years, as I've been, you know, based more in the states and traveling, you know, much more on this quest to visit everywhere. All right. So we'll, I think we know where the, the taste for travel really starts <laughs> first flower. Because yeah. <laughs> you're on a boat <laughs> that travels sure. around. So um, take us back to where we were before. We were, we were back, we were in Seattle. You were starting yep. some postgraduate studies. Um, mm-hmm. And you, uh, you continued to travel and continued to do internet business. Is that um, yep, that's correct on both points. And I started kind of picking up the travel. And I, at this point, I started learning more about what I call travel hacking. And it's kind of funny because now I do that, some of that kind of stuff with my business. But at the time, I was just interested in using it myself. And so I was interested in frequent flyer miles and round-the-world tickets and uh, you know different like pricing discrepancies and all these like arbitrage things, all this kind of stuff that I could use to make my travel easier. Um, and so... I started traveling in two-week periods. I would have a, a term where I had to do my coursework for three months, and then I would have a two-week trip. And then I'd have another term for a while, and I'd do a two-week trip. And so um, that's when I started, like, really pursuing. And I, and I set the goal at that time as well, the, the goal of visiting every country, um, because I had added up where I went, and I thought, this is great. You know, I would love to go to 100 countries at some point in my life. And then I realized it's actually not going to be that difficult of a goal because I've already got so many already. And when you have a, a set number, you can kind of pick and choose. I can say, oh, you know, I'll go to Australia, but I'm not going to go to Nehru, you know. So you can kind of choose the easy countries. And so that's when I thought, let's increase the challenge. You know, let's, let's set the goal of trying to visit every country in the world. Um, and so I officially set that, I think, in, in 2007. And then in 2008 is when I started writing about it. Um, that's when I started the Art of Nonconformity blog. And, you know, things kind of went from there. So we're getting closer to your present then because that's what you're still working on today. Uh, yep. Now you've you weren't still doing eBay this whole time, though, were you? 
Uh, not so much, no. Um, I had learned about, uh, you know, information products. Uh, I made a few different things in the travel field. I made a couple of, like, airfare guide reports, put those out. I did some affiliate stuff. I had the Google AdSense AdWords arbitrage thing going for a while. Um, at this point, it's still not very it's still not very strategic. You know, it's making more money. It made up, it made up to six figures a year, um, you know, basically in the range of at least $80,000 a year, but never much more than like $150,000. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm doing well. I'm supporting myself, but I'm still not at this point at least building anything that's, that's lasting. You know, I'm not creating assets or any of the things that you talk about. Mm-hmm. But doing all those things, uh, it sounds like they might have suited your lifestyle given that you were study, travel, study, travel, sort of jumping all over the place. Um, right. You know, it, it, they, a business that requires you just checking in now and then, correct. Especially if you're not sure you want to do the business, because given your personality, Chris, it sounds right. like for you to build an asset, you have to really, really, like, you know, see yourself doing this one thing for several years, and that's not your style, by the way. Sure. Except for me, sure, sure. Degree, you know, I think or, I might, I might be getting a little better at it now, but. Uh, but still, at this point, at this point in the story, 2008, you know, 2007, 2008, you know, yes, I'm still more focused on like, what do I need to do, and what does that cost? How do I need to achieve the money to, you know, to, you know, to then put it towards this goal? I'm, I'm more focused on things like that. Now, I am curious that a lot of people, you know, set the intention to, over the years, maybe do AdSense arbitrage, maybe do eBay, uh, write an ebook and sell it, and they kind of fail or worse, stumble from one mm. to the next, sort of starting one and then going, ah, I'm not enjoying this, I'm not getting a result, I'm going to do this next shiny object and really never getting any of them to work. It sounds like mm-hmm. on some level you got all of these things to work. Um, I, I got a, yeah, I got a lot of things to work, certainly, but I also, but uh, I mean, we haven't covered the failure stories. I mean, everybody has, you know, everybody has lots of projects they try that don't work, so... I guess I just tried a lot of stuff, you know, and uh, so you mentioned like stumbling from one to the other. I I certainly stumbled, you know, from one to the other, but um, I made sure that a lot of them were successful, I guess. I mean, I could tell you, you know, a story of something that worked and a story of something that didn't work, if you like. Um, But basically, my my whole mantra was, let me deconstruct things. You know, if I see someone out there, out there, what are they doing? What are all the pieces to it? I mean, I think a lot of people fail to deconstruct all the pieces. They just see one thing. You know, they see like one thing that you're always doing or Chris is doing or whoever. And then they, they copy that one tactic and then they don't see the results and they think, oh, you know, I've done it wrong. And what they did wrong was they failed to understand like the whole strategy and there's more than one step. And so I guess what I got, what I got to be good at for, for better or worse was trying to, was trying to see like every step, you know, in the process. And, and so, yeah, I mean, a lot of things didn't work, but then enough things worked that it was fine. Oh, maybe in five minutes you can just kind of go through the, the different things you did, like from, I'm assuming you're in Seattle, you're studying yeah. a degree. Mm-hmm. eBay, did you go grow tired of eBay or did you? Um... Yeah, I got tired of it. And I think it also changed. I think um, a lot of technology things like that, um, and I would say probably the Google AdSense AdWords as well, though I have no idea what's happening with it now. A lot of things like that in the beginning, you know, in the beginning, those markets are inefficient. And so whenever there's an inefficient market, that's a great opportunity for an entrepreneur or someone who aspires to be an entrepreneur because you can take, you can be sloppy and you can make a lot of mistakes and you can still take advantage of things. So in the beginning, eBay was, was essentially a seller's market, you know, at least in the United States. In the, in the beginning, like everyone's jumping on eBay. They think it's this huge value, you know, as a buyer. I mean, you could literally like go to the store and buy some things and then list them on eBay and some people would pay more. 
you know, for them. I mean, you could actually have a business like that. Um, but over time, of course, with anything, with any technology, you know, efficiency comes in, more sellers enter the market, more people are selling the same things, and then the business becomes efficient. So I guess for a long time, you know, I was good at exploiting inefficiencies, you know, which, which is fine. And I mean, it's okay to make a living at that. I just, I just ultimately found myself dissatisfied with that because, in addition to the fact that I'm not really changing the world, um, the business is also very, not very sustainable because as soon as you know other sellers enter or as soon as the marketplace corrects itself, then I'm out of business, right? Okay, so from eBay, you went next to? Um, what did I go next to? Um, built a lot of different little websites, built a couple of websites and sold them, did some website design. Actually, I did some consulting. Um, I did some like website traffic generation things. Um, I did, uh, gosh, this is taking me way back. I mean, I haven't worked on anything unrelated to what I'm doing now for more than five years. So I don't know. I did some affiliate marketing stuff. I built little one-page websites, you know, for different affiliate stuff, for books, for the early version of the Amazon affiliate program. Um, Not just eBay, but other auction sites. You know, for a long time, Yahoo had auctions. Uh, Amazon had auctions for a while. Um, Lots of different stuff. Wow. And, and all this was sort of just you sitting at home on your computer, just testing things. Yep, essentially. Okay. Again, all of it worked, you know, but enough of it worked that that's all I had to do. You must have been good at, I don't know, something about this, because there's a lot of things there that just, you know, you couldn't do them all at once, or you, or you'd, you really <laughs> need to focus on, you know, getting the customers, for example, for a consultancy yeah. practice, or selling website right. design, or traffic generation, yeah, um, you know all those things require you setting up your own website, then knocking on doors you know, virtually, whatever the case may be, and right. uh, convincing people to buy from you. So, uh, yeah, well, we're, we're kind of compressing a little bit because we're talking about like seven years of yeah. <laughs> seven years of early entrepreneurial history in a short period of time. And also, I do think, like like I said, there was a wild west factor, you know, to some of the early days of the internet. That it was I, 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 these days, I think. These days, I don't know if it's as easy to do some of those things, but I think in many ways it's actually it's actually easier to do other things. I mean, it's, so the thing is, like things are always changing, and uh, you know what I guess what I guess one of the th- other things that I did well, and again, there's a long list of things I did not do well, but one of the other things I did somewhat well was I tried to be adaptable and I tried to realize like okay, change is coming, like with eBay, you know, change is coming. I'm not going to be able to keep doing this. You know, I'm not going to keep making these incredible profit margins because there's going to be, you know, 20 other people selling the same thing. Um, so therefore, I need to ch- make a change. And the same thing with Google or with anything else. Okay. Well, I got a question. I know everyone listening to this would be curious about, especially those with a wife or a husband or, or children, mm-hmm. and who want to travel and mm-hmm. study a degree and do all these things at the same time, and you know, ultimately not be worried about. Paying, having enough money coming in to support these dependencies, you know, pay for degrees, support right. the kids, support the partner. How did you make all this work? Is there one or two little things that, you know, that because that, it's pretty scary, I think, to be booking mm. flights overseas, um, wondering whether you're still going to keep selling stuff on eBay or whatever right. the thing you're doing is like. Um, luck again what 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 what's the yeah no i don't i don't know this part i don't know if i would say is luck i think this is this is something that um it becomes more comfortable with time and you don't necessarily make all the big changes at once and and uh yeah i'm not trying to think of the best way to answer your question i guess i guess i often hear from people and i'm sure you do too who are working at like they're working good jobs um sometimes 
but they want to like break out. They want to do their own thing. And, and they always frame this conversation as, uh, like this, you know, all or nothing thing. And they're like, I'm afraid to quit my job. And, and, and my always response is, well, why do you need to quit the job? I mean, like, I understand you want to create your own income, but why don't you do that now? Like, why don't you spend your free time and your lunch hour, like reading up and listening to your always podcast and then trying to set up your own website? And I mean, why not? As soon as you can get to making some kind of income, that's going to create more security for you. It's going to create more confidence, you know, with you. So I don't necessarily think, um, you know, everyone's ready to visit 25 countries a year. Everyone even wants to do that, you know? Um, but I guess in my case, the, w- the only way that I know how to answer the question for me personally is I-, I never tried to motivate myself into doing something that, you know, was not at least somewhat exciting and had some potential to be marketable. You know, I, I always, fu- I always did what I was excited about doing and I was excited about a lot of different things. And so I didn't want to limit myself. You know, I did want to go to university. I did want to travel. I did want to have some kind of stable home life and I wanted to have an income and, and all those things are good. So why should we have to choose, you know, why do we have to pick two of those? You know, like, why can't we just find a way to, to, you know, achieve all of them? Good answer. (laughs) You find a way to make it work. (laughs) I mean, mean, seriously, you know, I mean, like, I don't mean to oversimplify. I just think uh, we all make time for what's important to us. So, you know, if, if what's important to you is freedom and independence and, you know, doing what you love, why not make time for that? Yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's not something that has to be from A to B. You can go A to Z and take every step slowly. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we were trying to compress a little bit, maybe perhaps too much into to one interview here, <laughs> Chris. So well, we'll do another one. Sometime. We're getting closer to the, the present day. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more because obviously, you know, most of your time now, I'm presuming, is to do with the art of nonconformity and that, yes. that sort of area. So can you tell us how that all entered into the picture? Yes. Um, so, you know, at, at the culmination of all these things that we've talked about, um, it was, you know, 2008 and I was finishing university with the master's degree. And as I said, I felt like I'd, I'd been fortunate to have all these different experiences living in West Africa, you know, been to 70 countries, always self-employed, you know, so all these things were somewhat interesting, but they were kind of unrelated. And I felt like there was no convergence points. And as I said, I wanted to be a writer, um, but I had no platform. And so the next step for me was let's create convergence, you know, between these things. And um, you know, so I started the blog, The Art of Nonconformity, in 2008. And you know, I just kind of put it up there, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm gonna. This is my this this blog is the chronicle of my visiting every country in the world, and along the way, I'll share you know the lessons that I learned." So launched the blog. I mean, I learned a number of things in that first year. Probably one of the most important things was, I mean, it seems kind of basic at the time, but it seems kind of basic now. But at the time, like, you know, I started writing about visiting every country in the world. And I realized uh, pretty quickly that some people would like that and some people would be inspired by it. But the vast majority of people would say, well, that's great. Like, good for you. But how does that help me? You know? And it's a very good and valid question. And so I, I kind of started focusing a little bit more on my readers and focusing on like, okay, what is this whole question of nonconformity? There's obviously many different ways to look at it, not just travel, you know, but all kinds of different things. And so, one, uh, so I learned to be a little bit more reader focused. Um, you know, I don't know how to, how to compress the next four years, but, but, you know, basically I wrote the first book, The Art of Nonconformity. I did a, an unconventional book tour to every state in the U.S. and every province in Canada Um, along the way I met, you know, all kinds of amazing, remarkable people that also kind of helped me, you know, refocus and recenter the whole project because, you know, I don't know how it's been for you. I'm sure it's maybe the same way. Like 
if you're just writing, you know, words on a screen and then you have comments or tweets or something, that's one thing. But then you actually like meet people who have been changed through your work or somehow identify with it. Then it kind of changes things. Uh, at least for me, it did. Um, so I don't know um, where we are now. You know, like it's been four years and I love everything that I that I do. And I my question now is where are we going from here? Um, do lots of meetups wherever I go. Um, I, I put on an annual conference every year called the World Domination Summit. We started that last year. Um, our second one is this year with a thousand people. Um, next book is coming out. Going on tour for that. I just I want I want to keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully improving the quality of it because in the beginning it wasn't so good like anything else. But you know we continue to learn and continuous improvement and feedback and all that kind of stuff. Is it safe to say that you're income streams from the 2008 period where you kind of maybe ended the playing, well, say playing around the, the, <laughs> uh, the experiments with each of these different systems. And then you started this blog and then you became an author. Did yeah. that become more of your sole focus on, on income streams like information products and blogging? Yeah, I would say I create, I definitely created a lot more stability. Um, and in the end, in the beginning, I had no idea uh, in the beginning with the art of nonconformity, I had no business model for it. Uh, I had no monetization strategy. I just wanted to write. Um, but I ended up creating unconventionalguides.com and, and a few different information products related to, to the art of nonconformity. And I did that mostly in response to questions from readers. I noticed people were asking the same questions all the time about how do you travel and how, do you, how does the self-employment thing work and what are the different approaches and all that. So uh, I just started creating products in response to those needs. Um, and yes, I mean, 100% of my income now for the past you know, three years uh, has been from everything related to art of nonconformity. And so I earn money from traditional publishing. Uh, I earn money from all the different information products. I have a membership site. Um, I write a newspaper column. I do do some speaking, but mostly I speak for free if it's a good fit or whatever. Um, so I have, a, I have a diversified income, but it, it is all kind of related to what I'm doing. So it's all kind of related to the concept of legacy work that I talk about. Right. I am interested because the, the title, The Art of Nonconformity, and certainly that whole area, it's a little bit, um, I don't know, may, maybe vague in terms of like if I was going to do a marketing analysis and you wanted to say what sure. problem you're solving for your target market right. so you know how right. to sell your product. Because I had a similar problem with, I was writing about entrepreneurship a lot. Yeah, and you know it was difficult to have a specific um, target market that wasn't too broad. Like you know, I, I didn't want to be another how to start a business person um, mm -hmm. or an online business because I felt that was too generic. I wanted to get more specific, and for me it was you know timing again, luck maybe um, was great because I was blogging, so I had the angle of showing how to people make how to make money with blogging, and that was right. more focused and specific. And it's easier to teach something when you know okay they want to learn how to make money with a blog. Mm. Now, with the art of nonconformity, it sounds a little bit the same. Sort of, it's very big. It's a very broad subject. It's travel. It's it's income streams. It's um, you know maybe just even learning how to do all the different things at once and making it work. But that's a lot of different target needs. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. Um, you're absolutely right, and especially in terms of a marketing analysis perspective. Um, and so, obviously, there's some there's some clear weaknesses there. I think the strength there is um, that. It allows me to not get too pigeonholed and not too focused. And in my case, I've always done all these different things. And I was worried when I started the project. My biggest fear was not that I would fail. My biggest fear that I was, was that I would get tired of it. And you know, I didn't want to do that. Like I was turning thirty years old. I was like, I want to actually make something that's going to have lasting value. And so I knew for me, 
that one of the easiest ways to do that is to, is to deliberately keep it broad, you know, so that I can do a variety of things and a variety of expressions within that. And so, you know, the tagline for it is, uh, you know, unconventional strategies for life, work, and travel. Now, as you would say, like, it doesn't get more broad than that, you know, it's, it's very broad. But, um, you know, the good thing about it is that it's kind of allowed me to have like a big tent philosophy and I welcome a lot of different people. You know, we, the readership is very diverse. It's almost split 50-50 between men and women. You know, it's very international and, and all ages. So I guess what unites all these people is an interest in change, an interest in progress, an interest in doing things differently. And so not all of them are interested in, in travel per se, and not all of them are interested in self-employment. But, you know, I can then, in terms of the business stuff, I can then segment a little bit. And I can say, okay, like a lot of people, I have this core group that is interested in travel, so let me provide a solution for that, you know, core group. Then I have, you know, another core group that's really diehard entrepreneurship, you know. Uh, they really want to, like, find their own freedom, whatever it takes. I'm going to market something to them, you know. And I haven't been, like, highly strategic or specific about expanding much beyond that. But I feel like, you know, the weakness of this approach is exactly what you mentioned, which I agree with. Um, but the strength is also that it allows you to do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. I think it's really safe to say that your personal brand and, and your life story, the experiences you had, your ability to make it all work in a lot of ways ties it together. So yeah, people, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, for better or worse, you get the benefits of that yeah. brand loyalty. And, and people are probably deciding to buy because they like you and your story more than anything else. And they just happen to want to know this specific slice of it. So the travel mm -hmm. or the business or the, whatever it is, um, would that sound right given your customer base and, you know, how they've made that buying decision with you? I, I would think for some of them, certainly I would say, hopefully, you know, hopefully they're going to buy something that's also going to be of some value to them. You know, hopefully like there is a clear benefit you know, as well. And the benefit isn't just, you know, be like Chris. Uh, I'm sure some people, you know, I'm sure some people will purchase based off that, but Learn hopefully like Chris, obviously, you know, be like Chris. Certainly right. I want to, I want to take one part of your life and, and make it similar, make it in part of my life. And obviously you've done it so I could learn from you, but, yeah. um, as a, you know, like a, a message to the marketplace, that's something that's, and, and this is an important question to answer for a lot of people. Cause I come mm -hmm. across a lot of people who, they want to be a teacher uh, in some area that's very similar to all of us. Like we're, they want to teach how to make yeah. money with a certain method right. or they want to teach lifestyle design. So how they've been able to quit their job because they had one or two successful niche sites. Now, yeah. you know, that on the surface can sound a lot like every other person who's just right. happened to build one successful website and, and make money from it. Like I could say, what's different from Chris and, and Tim Ferriss, for example. Right. You know, I'm sure you, right. you might, must get that sort of um, comparison now and then, uh, I think maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of the times it does come down to personality with these sorts of things because mm -hmm. you're different from Chris, uh, from, from Tim and personality. And so, sure. I. so, yeah, of course. And I, I would say like, we all have our own unique histories and things that have influenced our worldview and your, your story is different from mine and, and Tim's is different from yours and, and, and same with everybody else. And so, you know, I guess, you know, a couple of things that I focus on is, uh, the, the travel thing, like visiting every country. There's not a lot of people who've done that. You know, uh, I have the experience of living in West Africa. You've actually like built and sold businesses, you know, on their own, which I think is unique. And, and very few people have actually done that. Um, and of course, you, you know, we all have our different things. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think it's helpful for people because, uh, it's, it's a crowded marketplace now in, in these right. sort of spaces and everyone's got a story to tell. So turning that into a business, you know, it's, it's something right. that you can do and I, I really like though that you mentioned that you 
visit every country. It's almost like a USP for Chris. Right, right. It's also one that's kind of hard for people to copy because I'm like, if you want to visit every country, go ahead, you know? Yeah, I'm and not I doing see, that, Chris. You're I see there's actually a number of other people who are trying to do it, but the thing is, like, they're, like, they're so far behind. Like, I always think, like, good luck. You know, like, and if really, if you can catch up, that's great. I mean, it's wonderful. You're going to have a great experience doing it, but it's taken me 10 years, you know, to, to get to where I am now. It just makes me think of that, you know, the guy who did the dancing videos from around the world? He traveled. Uh, exactly. And... Yeah, the Matt guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Again, it's a USP, you know, something makes them stand out. So, Okay, so you've made blogging work, you've made selling products and having a membership site work. You know, business models I've done myself, a lot of people have proven over the years that are fantastic. Um, they're your stable income streams now. I'm guessing for you, is it just going forward, writing more books, you said, doing, I mean, your your event sounds amazing, a thousand people, and, and um, that's, is that all off the art of nonconformity background as well? Um, it is, yeah. I mean, the World Domination Summit, the, the goal there is um, just to bring together creative people from all different backgrounds and to talk about these things, to talk about travel and, and self-employment, but also to talk about the arts and education. I mean, I'm trying to just create a whole, like, third space there, and, um, you know, it's going it's going pretty well. So as for what I hope to do, yeah, I mean, I'm almost done with visiting every country. Um, I hope to keep writing books. I actually like writing traditional books, and I want to keep doing that. Um but I don't know. I mean, I think we always have to challenge ourselves. We always have to like have something that's have something big. And so, for me, like I'm coming to the end of the ten year, you know, basically ten years of traveling. Um, so I, I think I need something else as well. But I haven't figured that out. If you figure it out, let me know. Okay, I'll have a think for you. So um, your latest book, Chris, is I'm looking at your website now. The hundred dollars startup is that um, the most current project? Uh, yep, that's the new book. It's out and I'm uh, touring North America and eventually around the world. Um, that's the $100 startup is is a couple, there's a couple of things. Uh, one, it's the stories of a number of unexpected or unconventional entrepreneurs um, who started businesses without any background in business training, without a lot of money, and by using the skills they already had. So I'm sure it's some of the same things you talk about. Um, but in this case, um, it, many of the stories are people who have been laid off or fired uh, from their job or otherwise just couldn't get a job during the recession, you know, went through some kind of big transition and ended up starting a business. So they had like a negative experience and ended up creating a, a you know, inspirational story out of it. So I met a lot of these people when I went on book tour before. Um, and so I wanted to tell their stories and then it's not just a collection of stories. Hopefully it's also a blueprint for readers to take action on it. Um, so basically, you know, the whole message is, you know, if you want to start a business, you don't need a lot of money. You don't need an MBA. You don't need to beg the bank, you know, for money. Um, you know, all you need is uh, a product or service, a group of people willing to pay for it and a means of getting paid. So I'm just trying to kind of break that down and, into very, you know, simple and easy to follow data driven method. Okay, it sounds very relevant for those just getting started in the, the building the income stream aspect of this lifestyle design. Uh, so let's give some URLs out here. We've talked a lot of different about a lot of different projects. Sure, sure. Had. So we'll yeah. begin with the hundred dollar startup. Where can we find out about that? Sure, um, at one hundred startup dot com one zero zero startup dot com, or that should be uh, any local bookstore or Amazon. Okay, and then we've got obviously the art of nonconformity. So that's. So that's actually my name, which no one can spell, chrisgillibo.com. Um, but to keep it simple, you can go to artofnonconformity.com, and it will redirect you. Okay. And that will give you information about the blog and, and the books on that same title. Mm -hmm. And then you also have World Domination, right? 
Yep, uh, that one's pretty simple, worlddominationsummit.com. Or they can just Google world domination, and we're almost at the top of the results for that. So we're <laughs> excited about that. <laughs> yeah, you want to have, at least have Google domination for that, don't you? Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. It was very competitive. There's lots of other stuff out there with world domination, but we're almost there. Okay, any other projects you'd like to mention, or maybe don't want to give people too much at once? No, I feel like we've given so much, and uh, we've, we've given a lot of information. I would just say, like, um, I love everything that you're doing, Yaro, and I... I really appreciate uh, your listeners. So if there's something that I can help with uh, or if they want to connect in any way, you know, just let me know and send me an email. I'm happy to give more input or more feedback or anything. Uh, thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. And I'll obviously put all the links with this recording. So one more question. Now, normally I'd ask something, um, you know, to help the readers that want to copy you. And this is pretty yeah. much the same question, but this is also sure. something of my own interest. You are one of these people, like Tim Ferriss, like a whole lot of successful book author slash entrepreneurs slash traveling people who get university <laughs> degrees. Um, you, know, you talked about 10 years of your life there where you've done all these sorts of things. A lot of those things are, are big lifetime goals. You know, most people want to travel the world, maybe write a book, have an in independent income stream and not need a job, and at the same time do normal things like get master's degrees from university. Right. Now, 10 years... You know, it is a lot of time, but you seem to have managed to do a lot of these things all at the same time. Um, I know from my experience, traveling, you know, it, it drains me. I'm wiped out. So, you know, doing book writing at the same time as jumping from city to city, especially in, in short right. periods of time, would be very challenging. And you can write in the plane and all that. But what right. I'm curious about is, is there, and I bet you might have trouble answering this because I've yet to find someone who can <laughs> answer this besides saying okay. do a time management course. But right. is there a way... To be one, to become one of these people that seems to get everything done in their life, as opposed to, you know, only doing maybe one big thing um, in ten years, like right. just getting um, a master's degree or something like that. Yeah, so I guess um, you know there there probably isn't one big answer, but maybe just a couple of practical tips. You know, we talked about focusing on what you're motivated to do as opposed to trying to motivate yourself. Um, for me, I always focus very much on deliverables. I don't I don't focus at all on a time schedule. Um, so I know like a lot of other writers, they have this thing that like I get up and I write from eight to nine in the morning or whatever it is. Um, and that's great. But because as you said, like I'm working from all these different cities, I'm, I'm always traveling. There's always something happening. Um, so I don't necessarily focus on a time schedule, but I do focus on deliverables. And so for me, like as a writer, you know, my own deliverable is a thousand words a day. And my personal goal is like every day, no matter what's happening, I'm going to write a thousand words and they're probably not all going to be great. I may not be able to use it, but like a thousand words a day is the minimum. If I do that every day, then over the course of a year, I'm going to have more than a hundred blog posts. I'm going to have a full length book. I'm going to have a number of, you know, newspaper columns and magazine articles, whatever else I need, guest posts, whatever, you know, that's going to give me everything that I need as long as I focus on the deliverables. So I do that with business stuff as well. Like if I'm building a project, it's like, okay, let's break this. Let's really break this down. What are all the steps? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lifetime or even 10 years, you know, doing this one thing. So how can I compress it, you know, and just getting specific and writing everything down and just kind of going from there is how I do it. So it's maybe not like the super big answer, but I do think there's practical things that all of us can do that will allow us to get more done. Deliverables, outcomes. Yeah. All right. Good mm -hmm. answer. And, and do you manage to do sport and exercise and eat well and all that too? Um, I do. And I think that helps. I think that actually helps you get more done. I don't know what you think, but I think like, yes, for terms of exercise, uh, I'm a runner mostly, but then I also do yoga. I do some weightlifting. I mean, just different things. Um, um, and I feel like I actually get more done if I devote more time to exercise. I don't know how you find 
well, yeah, I just, you know, it's certain hours in the day. Sometimes you have to decide, do I run now or do I write a thousand words now? <laughs> right, right. I haven't, I have not found a way to combine the two. So maybe one of your listeners will figure that out and they can, you know, write the next blog post about that. Yeah, there's an app in there somewhere for sure. Probably. <laughs> All right, Chris, um, really appreciate you going into that background. I do feel like we could probably spend another hour or two diving into each of the different income streams and how you grew your blog and how you set up your membership site and information products and wrote your book. So, uh, but <laughs> no, I think we've, we're almost at an hour already. Um, we're going to have to stop it there. I, I appreciate t you taking the time to talk about the story, and I hope everyone listening spend some time checking out uh, all of Chris's stuff. Um, maybe the $100 startup is the, one of the best entry points into your work right now especially for my audience if you're looking to uh, set up an income stream online. So thank you. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. You asked some great questions. And for everyone listening, if you are interested in uh, getting the links to go with this or downloading some other interviews with uh, successful entrepreneurs like Chris, you can head to my blog, which is at entrepreneurs-journey.com or Google my name, which is Yarrow, Y-A-R-O. And uh, I hope to speak to all of you soon. Thank you, Chris, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody.